I've called the message this morning the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, the word gifts, it appears here in the first verse of all of our translations. But as Chark pointed out previously, um, the, in the Greek text, it, it doesn't say gifts. It just simply says spirituals. And so some have thought spiritual things. Uh, some have thought spiritual people. But really what Paul is talking about here are the things of the Spirit. And then at a certain point, he does use the word gifts. So it's, it's fine to call them gifts, but he calls them the manifestations of the Spirit. And I really like that because that tells us what's going on. Think about it. The manifestation of the Spirit. This is how the Spirit shows himself among us. That, that's what these are. These things show us that there is the presence of God in our midst and that God is at work among us. These supernatural things, these beyond human things, these things that we couldn't do ourselves, by ourselves, are happening among us as evidence that God is with us. So when the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus was coming to a close, he began to prepare the disciples to receive the helper that he would send. And we looked a couple weeks back, we looked at some of those statements found there in John's gospel, chapters 14 through 16. But Jesus was, was preparing them for the helper uh, that he would send, the helper he was referring to is the Holy Spirit. And of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this. He said to the disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, all things that I said to you. He also said, he will guide you into all truth. He will tell you things to come. And then finally, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Now, Jesus taught in essence that the Holy Spirit would carry on the work that he had started. So we pointed that out previously. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you, but I'm gonna send you another helper. And that word, another, means another of the same kind. So in, in, in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go away, but I'm actually going to come back to you, but I'm going to come back to you in a, in a slightly different way. He's coming back through the person of the Holy Spirit. So only through the Holy Spirit, the work would expand to the uttermost parts of the earth, the work being then delegated through the Spirit among a multitude of individual believers. See, that's the thing. Remember Jesus said at one point to the disciples, he said, uh, the works that I do, you shall do also, and you shall do greater works than these. And everybody who's ever thought about that passage has said this. How in the world could you do greater works than Jesus? And that, that's a good question. How could you do greater 
I mean, what, what can you do that's greater than raising people from the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind? How, how could you do anything greater than that? Well, it's clear that Jesus is not talking about greater in that qualitative sense. He's talking about greater in the quantitative sense. You're going to do greater works because the work is going to be spread all across the planet through those who believe by the work of the Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about. And so we need to understand this. God never intended that the church should run on human energy and ingenuity, but rather through the energy and ingenuity of the Spirit. You see, God intends that the Spirit be the one who is leading the church. That, that's God's, that was God's plan in sending the Spirit, that he would lead the church. Ephesians 4 tells us, Paul writes this, he says that the gifts that God gives, they were for the perfecting of the saints, the, the gifts of the Spirit, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's to that end that the ascended Lord gave gifts to men. So that... The saints could be perfected to do the work of the ministry so the body of Christ could be built up. The church is to be built and to advance by the power of the Holy Spirit working through those that God has gifted. That's how God designed it to happen. That's why the whole subject of the gifts is so important. And I think that's why Satan has put so much effort into creating confusion over the issue. I mean, if you, look at, if you look at what Jesus says as he's communicating about the future and about the Holy Spirit, and as you look at what is happening throughout the early history in the book of Acts, how many of you are reading through the book of Acts like I told you to do? Oh, this is bad. <laughs> you need to read through the book of Acts. It's easy, and it's exciting. It's an adventure. But why I want you to be reading through the book of Acts while we're going through this series is because I want you to see what the church is supposed to look like. As I pointed out before, some people say the book of Acts is descriptive. It's just simply a description of what was happening in the first century. Well, it is certainly descriptive. It is telling us what was happening. But it was more than that. It's prescriptive. It's telling us what God wants to happen. So as we're talking about these gifts of the Spirit, as you're reading through the book of Acts, you're seeing in action the teaching that Paul is laying out here to the Corinthians. So that's why I want you to do that. I encourage you to do that. So, as I said, Satan doesn't want 
the Spirit's power at work in the church. He wants people to take over the lead of the church, people that he can fool and manipulate in order to prevent the church from doing what God intends it to do. And so we want to not play into the hand of the devil. We want to lay hold of what God intends with the gifts of the Spirit. So really quickly, before we look at the gifts individually, uh, let me just say a few things that are stated in the text that we read. Uh, Number one, the purpose of the gifts is for the common good, or other translations read, for the profit of all. So remember this, that the gifts that God gives us are not for our own personal benefit, although they will benefit us, but they're more for the benefit of everyone else. Now, think about that. Since that is the case, if you have a gift that you're not using, you're then not benefiting others and the body isn't functioning the way God intends it to. So, The purpose of the gifts is for the profit of all or for the common good. The gifts functioning in the body, second thing, are essential to the health of the body. They're essential to the health of the body. If we had a giftless church or a church that did not exercise the gifts that God has given, we would have a sick church. In order to have a healthy church, we have to to utilize those gifts that God has given. Now, the context of the gifts of the Spirit uh, is twofold. The gifts of the Spirit take place in the local assembly, number one. So this is a local assembly. We are gathered together as the people of God right now. We're gathered various times throughout the week in different Context, some of it's on campus, some of it's in homes, some of it's at a coffee place, whatever. Um, but, it, but it's in that, that gathering of God's people, the local assembly. That's number one. And then secondly, also in the broader body of Christ. The broader body of Christ, meaning other churches and Christians of other denominations and things like that, that we together living out the gifts that God has given us, that we would have the impact that God desires us to have. So, the Spirit is the one who works all these things. Look at the very last verse. Verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So these are, as Paul says, these are the manifestations of the Spirit. So these manifestations, know this. These manifestations, the ones that we're going to look at specifically that Paul mentioned here, these 
in, in some ways, it's better to, to think of them as manifestations than as gifts. Because we have other list of gifts in Romans 12, for example, we have a list of gifts there. First Peter 3, we have a list of gifts there. The reason why I think manifestations is better is because gifts um, imply a permanent possession. So God gave me a gift of teaching. It's a permanent possession. It's not something that I have to worry about like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be gifted to teach. Uh, I'm not sure if God's going to show up. It's a permanent possession, and I can exercise it and develop it and, and so forth. And if you look at, we, we don't have time to look at Romans 12 today, but maybe just in your spare time, read through Romans 12 and look at the list of gifts there, and you see that they are, in some ways, they almost seem like natural abilities. They're not natural abilities. They are supernatural abilities, but they, they manifest themselves in very natural ways. So as I'm exercising my teaching gift, there's probably not hardly anybody who's sitting there thinking, man, this is so supernatural, what's going on? Wow, this is amazing. This is like a miracle. Now, some might be thinking that, but <laughs> most of you are not thinking that, right? It just seems natural. But these things here, like we, I said earlier, these are the manifestations of the Spirit, and the very intention is that they would not appear natural. They would appear supernatural. And so the manifestations are not the permanent possession of any believer. So the things that we're going to read about here are, are not permanently possessed by anyone. But rather, they are the potential experience of every believer. So any one of us at any time could actually be the instrument through which these manifestations would happen. So we are all the potential recipients and vessels of these gifts. We can experience all these gifts at one time or another, but as we see here in the passage, this is based on God's sovereignty, not on human will. Now, let's look at the, the gifts or the manifestations. I'm going to call them the manifestations. So here's the problem right up front. The problem right up front is that Scripture does not supply us with an exhaustive description of each of these manifestations. As a matter of fact, in some cases, we have no description at all. We just simply have, and God has given to some, the message of wisdom. Man, you wish Paul would have said, and let me explain what that is. But he didn't do that. And since he didn't do that, we need to prayerfully approach these matters and always let the scripture be our guide. So in a sense, we sort of have to figure out a little bit, like, okay, what is this? And this is where Jesus becomes so important. Remember Charles' message last week about the spirit-filled Jesus? So Jesus models many of these things for us. We see these things working out in the life of Jesus. And even though, as was emphasized, Jesus has the spirit in uh, 
an unlimited measure. No one else has the Spirit or has ever had the Spirit in that way. Jesus has the Spirit in unlimited measure, but we have a measure of the Spirit. And so we can look at Jesus and we can learn about these manifestations. And so let's do that right now. So the first thing that Paul says in verse 8, he says, uh, to one there is given through the Spirit, the older translations or different translations are word of wisdom. It seems like the, the word there is better. It's a message. It's not a singular word. So the message of wisdom. What are we talking about? What is the message of wisdom? Well, I think as you put the pieces together from Scripture, what you, what you come up with is the message of wisdom is a God's answer or a supernatural answer or solution to a perplexing situation. We all face perplexing situations. In the church, we per- face perplexing situations. We, we don't know what to do. We need a message of wisdom. We need a word of wisdom from God. Now, with Jesus, we see him exercising this word of wisdom when when he was being tempted or when the religious leaders were trying to entrap him. So Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil and the devil you remember he says to Jesus he says if you're the son of God take these stones and turn them into bread now what is Jesus going to do he is the son of God if he doesn't turn them into bread going to look like he's not the son of God. So he's in a dilemma. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perplexing situation. How does he get out of this? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was a word of wisdom applied to that situation. Remember when they came to Jesus with a coin and they came asking, or they came not with a coin, they came asking about taxes. They wanted to trap him. They wanted to get Jesus to say, don't pay taxes to Caesar. Caesar's bad. And so they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? What did Jesus do? He said, give me a coin. And then what does he do? He takes a coin. He said, whose image and inscription is on this coin? Well, that's Caesar, they said. He said, right. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Wow. They went away with their tail between their legs. That was wisdom that was unmatchable. What about the situation when they came and they brought that woman that was caught in adultery? They threw her down in the presence of Jesus and they said, Moses and the law commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? Well, if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then, oh, you're violating the law of Moses. If Jesus says stone her, then they're going to go to the Romans and say, this guy's telling people to stone people. So we know. What does Jesus do? He says, 
the one that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. So in all of these, we see this wisdom that's at work. We see it in the early church when they had this problem. There was in Acts chapter six, it's recorded. There's a problem. Um, the, the Greek um, widows felt that they were being neglected and that the Hebrew widows were being preferred. And so they came with this problem and, you know, what can we do uh, about this? And the apostles, they said, this is what you do. Choose out seven men from among you um, who we can put over this. And they chose these seven men. They all were Jews with a Greek background and it completely solved the problem. But up until that moment, it had been quite perplexing. And so that's how a message of wisdom might work. It can come through the written word. It can come through a spoken word. It can come through you to another, or it can come to you. You might find yourself in great perplexity, and you have no idea how to deal with it. And the Holy Spirit brings through some means, through a person, oftentimes, that word that solves it all. It's like, oh my goodness, of course, that's it right there. These things happen. Now, next we have what's called the message of knowledge. Now, these are similar there's some, seems like some overlap, but the message of knowledge, I would define it as the God-given ability to instantly know something previously unknown. The God-given ability to instantly know something previously unknown. Now again, we see this with Jesus. Remember when... Uh, uh, Jesus met this man, uh, Nathaniel. It's in John chapter one is the record of this. And when Nathaniel, uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, you know, come and, come and see this, this person. He's the Messiah. And when Nathaniel comes, Jesus says about him, he looks at him, he says, oh, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, I don't know you. How, how do you know me? How, how are you saying that? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, obviously, for Nathaniel, it's like nobody saw me under the fig tree. I, I, was, I was way out in the wilderness. What do you mean you saw me out there? And then Nathaniel, recognizing that there's something supernatural here, he says, he says you are the Messiah. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? He said, you're going to see heaven open and the son of man ascending and descending. And we have a word of knowledge there as well, because apparently when Philip was under the fig tree, he was thinking about the story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder that ascended into heaven. And so Jesus is affirming to Nathaniel through this message of knowledge, this, this instantaneous knowing of something that could not otherwise be known. And so 
we have several examples of this in scripture. And again, I'm going way too slow. So we're going to have to move on from that. But, but let me just say this, that I have seen this gift operate many times. That God will give something to someone that they could not possibly know about a situation, about a person's personal struggles or fears or whatever, and and they will come and they will speak that message, and that message itself will will be the it will be the peace and the blessing and the healing and all of that that's needed because it comes with the power of God. And then we have faith. Moving on from there to another faith by the same spirit. So faith here, all, all Christians, you can't be a Christian without faith, right? Paul's writing to Christians. He's talking about something beyond saving faith. He's talking about I would just call it special faith or faith for the moment. It's, it's an extraordinary faith. It's where suddenly you have this faith to just say no or yes, this, this is how it's going to be. I've experienced this many times. It's the faith that, that we could see in Peter when he got out of the boat to walk to Jesus on the water. He had the gift of faith. And as long as he was believing, he was walking on the water. But then in the story, it says, Peter looked around at the wind and the waves and unbelief set in and he sank. But it was that gift of faith that got him out of the boat onto the water. It was the gift of faith that that enabled Peter walking by the lame man at the gate, recorded in Acts chapter three, to say to that man who had been there for 38 years, who had undoubtedly had Jesus pass by him at a certain point, and the apostles probably passed by him as frequently, suddenly Peter stops and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, how, how did Peter do that? Why didn't he do it before? Well, the gift of faith came upon him at that moment. So it's extraordinary faith. And then we have gifts of healing, he mentions here. Now, the Bible, of course, is full of examples of healing. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Now, here's a big question. Is the gift of healing still in operation today? There's nothing in scripture to indicate that it's not. Okay, then who has the gift of healing? And this is where what I said earlier comes into play. No one has a permanent gift of healing. So if you've ever watched a healing evangelist on TV, know that you're watching a phony. There's no such thing as a healing evangelist. The only person in history that could heal at will was Jesus. No one else could. Not not even the apostles. Although they exercised healing frequently, they could not heal at will. It's clear from Paul's writings. He talks about Epaphroditus who was sick unto death. 
if Paul could heal at will, he would have just said, Epaphroditus, be healed. He talked about Timothy's often infirmities. He said, drink a little wine for your infirmities. Why didn't he just say, Timothy, in the name of Jesus, stop being sick? Because that's not how it works. So again, with the gift of healing, no one permanently possesses it, but any believer could be an instrument of the Holy Spirit used to bring healing at any time. So God might use any one of us at any given time to bring a gift of healing to someone. So when we go to a hospital bed or we pray for somebody sick, we should always keep in mind that there is this possibility that God might heal this person. And we should pray for that. We don't know if that's exactly what God wills to do, but we should pray that that is what he would do. Because healing still happens today. Then there's the working of miracles, turning water to wine, multiplying loaves and fish, raising the dead. These are miracles. Do they still happen? People say, these things haven't happened since New Testament times. And we say that perched in our little space here in the United States of America, having no idea what's happening around the rest of the world most of the time. The fact of the matter is, when you get out of our Western plausibility structure, which is things that seem plausible to us based on our, our cultural upbringing, what does not seem plausible to you? I'll tell you right now, a miracle doesn't seem plausible. <laughs> we, are, we are indoctrinated to suspect or to um, dismiss the idea of miracles. Even as Christians, we get that way. That is our Western plausibility structure. Scientific age, empiricism, those kinds of things. But when you get out of the Western plausibility structure, when you go to South America, when you go to Africa, when you go to these different places that haven't had this strong influence or as strong of an influence or a limited influence, you find that, guess what? Miracles are happening. Supernatural things are going on. There's nothing in the Bible that says that miracles would cease at a certain point. So we should believe that even though we might not be seeing them ourselves, but we might be seeing them, we should not be surprised to know that they still happen. The next is prophecy. To another prophecy. Now, prophecy is a beautiful gift. And prophecy, there's a, a real similarities between messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge, Prophecy, they're, in some ways, they're very much like a prophecy, but I think the difference is they're just very specific. Prophecy is a direct word from God, a word that just comes from God to the hearer. And this direct word from God, it strengthens, encourages, and comforts the believer. Now, prophecy can come in a variety of ways. It can come through someone simply quoting a scripture. 
I've had times where a prophetic word is somebody quotes a scripture and man, that scripture just, it just suddenly is burning in my heart. Like that is a prophetic word for me from the Lord. I remember this happening to me in Canada one time. I was in Canada. I was preaching at a conference and we were having a time of waiting on the Lord and someone spoke a word from uh, Romans chapter four about Abraham and man, it was like I was the only person in the room. This is a prophetic word for me. Um, it can come through someone passing on something impressed on their heart. Someone can come up and say, you know, I don't know if this really resonates, but I just feel like the Lord wants me to tell you this. And they tell you and you're like, how did you know that? How, how, how could you, wait, no, nobody knows that. God knows that. That's a, that's a prophetic word. It could come in the course of a conversation. I've had conversations with people who prophesied to me not even knowing it in the course of the conversation. And I have prophesied to people in conversation not even knowing it. I can't tell you how many people have said to me things like this. You know, 25 years ago, you said this. I cannot remember what I said five minutes ago. And they're telling me what I said 25 years ago. How can you remember anything I said 25 years ago? It was a prophetic word. It was a word that so radically impacted their lives, it remained with them. That's what prophecy does. Prophecy can also come through a message preached. A message preached. And when I preach, when we preach, you know what we pray for? God, we pray for words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy. Speak prophetically. Speak in the moment to the person, to the situation. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this today. <laughs> I got to tell you this quick story, though. I was, I was really sick back in the, well, through, all throughout the 80s and much of the 90s. But there, there, was this, there was this time where I just had this super intense season. And Cheryl and I went to Hawaii with her mom and dad. And... It was, it was a time for me to just go and try to make sense of what was going on in my own life. And, but I was in a really desperate place. I needed, it was like, God, I need to hear from you. I need something from you. I need a word. I need a prophetic word. I was praying that. And I was asking for that. And I was meditating on my Bible daily. And I was praying and I was um, you know, Cheryl would go with her mom and they would go out and do some things, take the kids, and I would just stay in the room and it was a really, really rough season. And on Sunday morning, Pastor Chuck was preaching at a local church and so we went. And I went with this, this cry, Lord, speak to me. And when, I, when we you know, got to the church and had the worship time and everything, Pastor Chuck gets up and he says, uh, let's open our Bibles to Habakkuk. 
And right when he said that, I was like, oh, dang it. I've heard this Habakkuk message before. I need a word from the Lord. And I was just so kind of disappointed. It's like, I don't need a message that I've already heard. I need a word. I need a fresh word from the Lord. So he starts in on the Habakkuk message. And the essence of the message, though, is the words of, Hab- or the, words of the Lord to Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Now, here's the crazy thing. For the first 10 minutes of the message, I was complaining about, God, I ask you to give me a prophetic word. I'm here at church, and I'm hearing a sermon that I've heard at least three times before. Here's the crazy thing. By the time that sermon was over, it was like I was the only person in the building, and Chuck was no longer Chuck, but he was God, and he was talking right to me. And he was telling me, Brian, this is my word. The just shall live by faith. You're going to live by faith. You're going to do things by faith that you could never dream that you would do. You're going to go places by faith that you would never believe that you could go. Your life is going to be a life that is lived by faith. I walked out of there knowing there was a God. It was a prophetic word. And hopefully you've had an experience like that. Hopefully in the course of preaching, as you, as you come and you sit under the word, hopefully there, there have been or there will be times where God speaks to you, not about that same topic necessarily, but just in such a significant way. So um, who can prophesy? Potentially all believers. Um, here's, a, here's an important question. Are those who prophesy prophets? Sometimes, but not necessarily. Remember... There's a difference between the gift of a prophet and prophecy here. So remember, these gifts are not the permanent possession of any believer. Prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. They can be the potential experience of all believers. Now, really quickly, discerning of spirits. What does that mean? The God-given ability to recognize the work of the devil identify false teaching, teachers, and things like that. Um, And then we have kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, interpretation of tongues. What, What is this? The supernatural ability to speak or pray in a language unknown to yourself. The supernatural ability to interpret a language unknown to yourself. Now, according to Paul, tongues is the least significant of the gifts. Not that it's insignificant, but it's the least significant because it is more of a self-edifying gift than a, than a gift that edifies the, the collective group of people. And Paul says that in, a, in, a, in an assembly, in a gathered assembly, tongues should only be exercised if there's an interpreter. Because if there's an interpreter, then everybody else can be blessed. But if there's no interpreter, only the the individual person is being blessed. And that's not the purpose of the gifts in the local gathering. So that's why you exercise your gift of tongues in private mostly. 
But if there's a, a gift of interpretation, then you do so in public. So, oh my goodness. Okay, I'm gonna do this really fast because we still have several weeks to go. So some of this we'll come back to. But here's the question. I, I won't elaborate on the answers, but I'll just state them. Why is it, and this, this question is asked frequently, why is it that we see so little of this in the church today? Well, number one, probably ignorance. There's probably just an ignorance. People don't know. People aren't being taught about it. Secondly, there's pride and unbelief. Some people hear about it, but they don't believe it. And their pride gets in the way and they say, that stuff's weird. I don't want to do anything weird. I don't want to look weird. I'm more sophisticated than that. So there's the pride that, that results in unbelief that, that quenches the spirit from working. But then there's also a different kind of pride that results in excess. So there, there's excessive demonstrations of what the spirit is supposedly doing. People going wild, speaking in tongues, people... Uh, being disorderly, people attributing to the Holy Spirit, crazy laughing and barking like dogs and clucking like chickens and mooing like cows. This is real. People do this. But that, that's not the Spirit. That's the flesh doing a poor in, impersonation of the Spirit. So there's pride in excess. Then there's self-sufficiency. We got it covered. We don't, we don't need that. It's my theological training. It's my, it's my great ability to speak. It's my, um, it's my understanding of things that, that's what is building the ministry and carrying us on, self-sufficiency. And then in some cases, we are just simply too full of the world to be filled with the Spirit. We got so much world in us and we're so connected and, and, and engaged more with the things of the world, we haven't given time for the spirit. So what can we do? In closing, five things. Number one, be clear on the necessity of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that these are not optional unless we want to just be a dead church. But if we want to be a living, vibrant place where God is present in power, then we have to understand that this is not optional. Uh, we secondly need to seek to become dependent on the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we need to seek to be filled with the Spirit, ask the Lord to fill us with the Spirit, be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit. Fourthly, desire and ask for the gifts to work through you. When we get to chapter 14, Paul will say this. He will say, desire earnestly the best gifts. He says, desire them. Something we should want. I want the gifts of the Spirit. Not for my own glory, but for God's glory. And then fifthly and finally, we must step out in faith and exercise the gifts. We have to take steps of faith. And, and we have to learn to be comfortable with the gifts of the Spirit. Now, 
I'm going to have the band come out. We're going we're gonna to close with one song today because we're, it's been a long time. We're late. But during this one song, as we close today, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to I pray first. And then as, as they lead us in this closing song, I want you to just think about these gifts of the Spirit. And I want you to just kind of take a survey. You know, do I have some of these gifts? Where are they at work in my life? Have I had them in the past, but I don't have them presently? And, and just ask the Lord to rekindle, if need be, that flame within you and the experience and exercise of the gifts. And if you never had any of this before, just say, Lord, I want that. That sounds beautiful. And, and just ask him. And then as we finish today, you know, if you find yourself lingering with two or three friends or whatever and praying for one another, please do that. If you want to come up and have the prayer team, the pastors pray for you, then come forward and let's do that as well. All right. So, Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us orphaned, but you sent the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit is here with us. And Lord, we want the fullness of the manifestations of the Spirit to be happening in our local gathering and as we engage with the broader body of Christ. Lord, we, we want these things. And so whatever's hindering, whatever's holding it back, there's sin in our lives, if we've grieved or quenched the Spirit, Lord, help us, show us, bring us to that place where we might know the fullness of all that you have for us, that we might experience it within our fellowship for the common good, for the profit of all, in Jesus' name, amen.